Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlo and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. Welcome back to Maine Golf Talk. Zach and I are joined by a very special guest today, Ken Rayner, uh, former head golf professional at Cape Arundel Golf Club, currently the head golf professional at Coral Creek Club in Placida, Florida. He's the author of I Call Him Mr. President. He was the New England PGA Professional of the Year in 2003, and he was also inducted into the Maine Golf Hall of Fame in 2005. Ken, how are you? We're doing great. Glad to be here and happy to be talking about Maine golf for sure. Yeah, well, how's the uh, how's the weather down there? Do you really want me to answer that question? Uh, <laughs> it was a beautiful start of the day with all the cloud in the sky. I think it's about 83 degrees and uh, no humidity. So it's a perfect golf day, even though we only have nine holes open because, of course, rehab. It's funny. I, I, I think our listeners, they, they must think we just speak with people that are down in Florida and not, not Mainers. <laughs> well, I've been texting with a lot of my, you know, my, my friends and members of Cape Around the Golf Club, and they, you know, they're foaming at the bit to get out there. And, uh, of course, I'm rubbing it in a little extra for, for the guys. But uh, some of them are in kayaks in the river by the golf course, just looking at the golf course, wishing they could hit some golf balls and things. But it's going to happen, and we've got to keep the faith that uh, Maine Golf is going to be alive and well here very soon yeah absolutely and so what's this uh this course rehab you guys are doing down there it's exciting i mean coral creek we built it in 1999 uh with uh, tom fazio design and uh down here with the hot weather grasses and bermuda grasses uh there's a life cycle to the grasses and uh so it's been 20 years which is longer than a lot of courses do so we know how the golf course plays. Uh, we're going to upgrade the facility as far as the turf itself. Uh, so we're putting all new grasses. We're putting in uh, Tiff Tuff, and we have Tiff Eagle on our greens. And then we're going to be putting uh, capillary concrete in all of our bunkers, which is a liner, kind of a, a new, kind of like a billy bunker. And then all new sand, and uh, we're actually getting ready in a couple of years. We're also going to, we've had the uh, mid-amateur here twice for the state of Florida in the ladies uh, amateur here. And uh, we're going to have that also again, uh, the mid-am in uh, 2021. So we've got a lot of things going on and uh, it's a great golf course and uh, it's a great area to be. And if I got a quarantine anywhere, I'm pretty lucky to be where I'm sitting right now. That's awesome. You've had a few uh, uh, main employees come down there. Is that right? Yeah. Over, over all my tenure, you know, that's, that's something I'm very proud of that, you know, the people that, uh, been in the game of golf and stay in the game of golf and most recent one that you know a, a former main amateur champion and uh and eric higgins uh you know he's been with me since he's about seven or eight years old cape rundle and <laughs> used to come over and shag balls with his baseball mitt with me and uh, fall down trying to catch a ball and developed and uh, watch him develop as a person and as a golfer and uh now he's a great player and named main amateur champ and mid amateur champ and uh, he, he was working with me here at Core Creek for a number of years. And, of course, now he's uh, with Kirk Kimball at Webb Hannett. So he had a great year last summer and, and looking 
forward to a great season upcoming. Yeah, that's great. And, it, you know, there, I guess there's a, a fair amount of pros when you look at it across New England and, and even in Maine that, you know, they're down in Florida, what, you know, six months out of the year, and then they come back to Maine and um, quite the lifestyle, I guess. Well, I did it for a lot of years, obviously. I started in 99. I came to Boca Grande because I'm a fisherman. And it's a great area for some great fishing and came down with family when my son was one year old. We came down and uh, got to know the island really well and some of the locals here. And then lo and behold, uh, you know, many years down the road, uh, I was approached about some people interested in building a, a world-class golf course here in Boca Grande. Uh, and uh, would I be interested in coming on board? And first thing I said, I would be, but if I could do it seasonal because I did not want to leave. Cape Arundel, Kenny Bunkport, or Maine at the time. And uh, so we were able to work that out in probably 98. And, uh, you know, here I sit today. So uh, if we can go back, how did you first get into the game? And, and you grew up in what, South Salem, New York? Is that correct? Well, you've done your homework a little bit. That's <laughs> an honor to hear that part. But uh, yeah, we grew up in South Salem and, and, uh, Great area for golf here, but I didn't play much because I really had nobody in my family that played. Even though the latter years, I found out later on that I'm a relative of Seth Rainer, a great architect. And, um, you know, I tried to make the JV golf team when I was at John Jay High School in South Salem. They played out of Wakabuck Country Club. And, uh, you know, I wasn't real successful at that, but I loved the game. It was, it was you know, intuitive. And my dad let me build a little green on our, on our acreage that we had in South Salem. I probably had a six foot diameter green that I used the wheelbarrow and put topsoil and seed and a coffee can with a, a dowel with a, with a towel my mom let me use for a flag. I had one club and I used to hit the balls around the, the you know around the yard and into the cup and you know how do you know you know here I am 40 something years later uh, and uh, hopefully I've had a successful golf career for it helped improve a lot of other people's games and the enjoyment of the game and uh, so South Salem was a great place to grow up and then I went to Nassau College in Maine, which is what brought me to Maine as a fisherman first. And when I fished there, I loved the being in Maine. And uh, so I ended up going to Nassau and played on the golf team for four years there and, and ended up why I was still in, a junior in college there, uh, working on the maintenance and very part-time in the pro shop for Bryce Roberts, long-time uh, Maine pro at Cape Rundle and then Papudic and, uh, and Props Neck. And uh, Bryce and I always had a great relationship and uh, – Ended up going down to Florida in the wintertime seasonally as a college graduate and worked at the Country Club of Florida over in Delray Beach in Florida and went down that area for a couple of years. And that's where I decided that I would, you know, uh, you know, uh, go forward with the PGA Apprentice Program and try to get certification and, and was able to become head golf professional at Cape Rundle in 1979. So it sounds like a long time ago, but it went awful fast and uh, Got a lot of great stories and a lot of great memories and met a lot of people, wonderful people along the way. Yeah, Del Rey's a great area too. And, uh, you know, my my coach and mentor growing up, Kevin Joseph, I know he spent some winters down that way. And, and he happens to, uh, you guys have a pretty good relationship as well, I hear. Yeah, Kevin and I go back, and then he, you know, taught at Stratton for a while in the teaching school there. But always fun to see Kevin and, and uh, like you said, a number of golf professionals that have been involved, uh, you know, in the game and remain in the game today. So uh, we wish Kevin well, obviously. Give him my best when you see him. Will do, for sure. So 
And, and where did this sort of, this passion for fishing as well, where did that start for you? Well, first of all, most importantly, it remains. Uh, I still got it. I, you know, uh, you know, I just got uh, two carpet a couple weeks ago. I mean, I'm a fly fisherman. So I got a 110 pounder and a, about a 79 pounder, both on fly. And uh, it's something I really enjoy doing. And that's one of the first things I do when I get back to Maine is get out there and, you know, fish by the golf course and I'll throw out in the ocean for stripers and tuna. And, uh, but, you know, I guess to answer your question properly is uh, when I was a young kid, we grew up in a great area, South Salem. We had lots of streams and fishing there. So I did it as a young kid. And then I went to summer camp up in the Adirondack Mountains and did a lot of trout fishing up there. So I, I, it was sold. And then, of course, over all the years, uh, been able to travel to, to some amazing places in the world, you know, New Zealand and Iceland and, you know, northern Canada, Newfoundland, Labrador. Uh, multiple times with President Bush because he was an avid fisherman like I was. and uh, Hopefully I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. I was going to say, we, I saw a great photo of the two of you. I don't, was that outside of Cape Arundel where you guys, I don't know if it's a, a river that comes in there or if that's off the ocean, but I saw a picture of you and, and, and President uh, George H.W. Bush and uh, on a little like schooner or something. It was pretty cool. Yeah, well, actually, one of our members, uh, Booth Chick, who used to, uh, used to own Chick's Marina, uh, he built that skiff, and uh, I helped him build it. And then over the years, as he got older, he built the same skiff, but a little larger for more stability for himself. So I was able to purchase the original skiff, which I still have and cherish. And that's my, that's my little uh, skiff for fly fishing the river by the golf course. It does go to the ocean, and on a calm day, I have a little 9.9 .9 horsepower in the back, and I'll take it out in the ocean. <laughs> Fishing the rocks and in the breakers, but it's a really stable, really fun boat. And the president always loved, you know, going in the river. And that was his tranquility. So, uh, yeah, that was he and I uh, did that multiple times, and uh, he just loved it. It was just a, a breakaway for some of the pressures of the job at the time that he was president. And then many years later, of course, we used to go to Labrador together and Atlantic salmon fish. We did that for ten straight years, and then we went up to Unibic, uh, I think twice. Uh, fishing for world record Arctic char. So it was just, 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 just amazing experiences. And a lot of it has to do because of my relationship with golf. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a great golf course, you know, we, we've kind of been on this sort of design craze here the last week or so talking about some of the better courses in the state of Maine. And, um, you know, when you, when you took over as head golf professional, what, what did you think of Cape Rundle? Well, I have to say I thought about exactly the same way as I do today after playing it for 40 years. It's a golf course you never get tired of playing. It's always different every time you play it. Uh, it's a three-seasonal golf course for sure. Uh, spring, summer, and fall completely plays totally different. We always laugh about it. You know, it's the best little golf course for drive, driver wedge for a bogey. Okay, we all as golfers, we hate that. You know, you think you hit a great drive and all of a sudden, you know, you miss the green or can't get up and down or you're three putt. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's golf the old fashioned way, just plain fun. You can go out and challenge yourself. It can be as difficult we want as we want it to be with pin placements. Obviously, our green complexes are as good as anywhere in the world. Uh, one of my favorite stories is when Ben Crenshaw has come up to Cape Arundel multiple times. And every time he comes, he has to go around the golf course. And I've been honored to do it with him multiple times. He lays on his stomach on the eighth hole and just looks at the green complex and the undulations on the green and, and just boggles his mind about how these complexes have come together. And, of course, that's what Walter Travis, our architect, 
was really known for is he was quoted as saying the game of golf starts on the greens. And of course, he was a world-class putter. Uh, he won the uh, 1904 uh, British Amateur, and he did it because of the Schenectady putter, which was a mallet-headed putter that the RNA outlawed afterwards for almost 50 years with the, uh, you know, the RNA and the USGA different. It was one of the big rules things with the two uh, associations different. And it was all because of Walter Travis and his putting. And you can see that in his design work. And he did a lot of other courses, of course, in New England. Probably the most famous is Equanic uh, in Vermont, which was his first golf course that he did design. Some people still say it's his number one golf course, that you know, the very best one he ever built. But Cape Arundel, for the people that have played it, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, you got the tidal river throughout the golf course. Uh, low tide and high tide, you always got wind coming with one of those tides. So it's ever-changing. You can play you know, three holes downwind and think you're going to be playing the next three into the wind and find out you're downwind again or vice versa. So you get the swirling winds. We always call 13, uh, 12, 13, and 14 our amen corner. Uh, so because of the wind and the tide, we got the long par 4, 12, then the really testy par 3, 13, and then one over the river, 14, dog leg left. And, uh, you know, you can make some numbers on those three holes. But uh, Cape Arundel is, is dear to my heart, and uh, I love the traditions that it stands for. Yeah, you know, for me, what I really like about it is, you know, you got these four par threes, you got, you know, three and six where, you know, they're shorter. I mean, six is just a little flip wedge. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you get to the back nine with uh, those two longer ones, especially on 16. I mean, that's a long hole. And I just love the fact that you're not hitting the same club every time with on the par threes. I like being able to hit different shots. And I think that's one thing that Travis really does great. And I mean, those green complexes, like you said, eight is just, you know, horrendous if you get that pin on that back shelf there. So, I mean, it's, it's a great golf course and I absolutely love it. Well, thanks for saying that. I mean, one of the tournaments that I never held, which I'm sorry I never did, but I always wanted to, I want to have a golf tournament there and take all the flag sticks down. Just put a cup somewhere on the green, anywhere, and just let people play. Because what people would start to do there would be aiming at the middle of the green, not knowing where the flagstick was. They might end up near the hole by chance, but what they're going to do is hit more greens than when they're trying to land on the flagstick and missing the green and then can't get up and down from, from that location. So, you know, the key to playing Cape Arundel is just hit the green. Don't worry about knocking the pin down, you know, because, you know, it's a very hard up and down golf course in certain situations. Like if you go over number 10, you know, it's a really hard up and down from like the 14th tee. You know, regardless of where the pin is. So the pin sometimes has, has, should play very little in your, in your selection. The middle of the green should play a very large consideration in your club selection and your strategy to play. Exactly. I mean, you guys, you know, there's so many holes there where you have a shorter wedge in or a you know, short iron in that you want to go after that pin because you're like, oh, I got the perfect you know, birdie opportunity here. And you can really get trapped into a high score very quickly. Um, which I, you know, I absolutely love that, that fact of Cape Arundel. Um, so, you know, you talked about the present. So how did you guys, how this friendship form? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Well, the, the Bushwalker family, you know, obviously related to each other, uh, you know, had been in Kenny Bunkport for many years, Walker's Point, of course. And, you know, uh, his family was always at Cape Arundel, not necessarily President Bush 41. Uh, because, you know, he was a busy guy. You know, he held a lot of different offices around the world. 
whether it be the ambassador to China or, you know, director of the CIA or the Republican Party, all the, so he's a busy guy and not a lot in Kenny Bunkport. But his, but his mom was, and uh, his dad was. I never met his dad, but I met his mom. And then his brothers were. So I got to know his brother, especially his older brother. I used to give him quite a few golf lessons here and there. His brother, his, his, his oldest brother, Prescott. And so when the president came to Maine, uh, it would have been, um, uh, it was just before he was going to make, try to run for the nomination of presidency uh, of the Republican Party against Reagan. He came and we renewed our friendship that we had met years before, but not frequently. And, uh, you know, why he was in Maine organizing a campaign. Uh, he took a break here and there, we, and he always invited me to play golf. And that kind of kindled our friendship. And, uh, you know, he's such a giving guy and reaching out that he, he always invited me to play golf and join he and whoever else he had, whether it be a family member or a guest and things like that. And that just, that just kept building over many, many, many years. Um, and, uh, and then the fishing, you know, part of it blended into that. And then, you know, it went on from there. Is hopefully some of the listeners will read the book. And there's lots of fun stories in that about the relationship prior to the vice presidency and then well after the presidency. But uh, it was really um, the goodness of the president. He, he truly cares about the other guy. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was certainly the byproduct of that. Did you ever help him with his game? Well, it's, it's one of the great stories that I always laugh about when I tell the story, hopefully the listeners will laugh about too, is uh, the president, Tiger Woods called him up and uh, wanted him to tee off the ceremonial uh, first drive, if you will, off the AT&T that they had down in Washington, D.C. And it was in favor of all the troops and things like that. So the president said, I couldn't say no. He goes, but Ken, he goes, I spoke in front of a million people in Poland He's giving me his conviction of his fist and said, I wasn't nervous one bit. I had so much conviction about what I was saying and I was doing right that I went to this speech for a million people and it didn't have a butterfly. He goes, but Tiger called me and I accepted. He goes, and I'm already scared to death, okay, over a tee shot, okay? So for the next month, he and I worked and he used to always say, I'm allergic to practice. I always break out in hives just thinking about practicing. He just would come out and play and go home. But all of a sudden, he wanted to practice. And so he'd come over 15 minutes one day, maybe 35 minutes another day. I got him a uh, one of the – back then, it was a new McGregor driver. It was a good driver. I got him 13 and a half degrees loft, fairly easy to get in the air. Got a good softer shaft for him uh, so he wouldn't cut it quite so much and the whole deal. We went out, and we hit driver after driver after driver. And he was doing pretty well because he's a good athlete. And he, you know, he's a good player. I mean – he shot in the 70s many times at Cape Rumble, and an average round for him was in the mid-80s. So, you know, he was a player. He could play. And uh, so he flies down for Tiger. Tiger greets him, of course, at the club. Mr. President, thank you for coming down. Before we do this ceremony, you'll drive. Would you like to go warm up a little bit after your drive was down? The president said, that'd be luck. That'd be fine. So they hop in the cart together, off they go with the Secret Service telling them to get to the range. Fred makes a few practice swings and all that, and tops the first one. And Tiger kind of, you know, looks at Tiger, and Tiger's a little surprised. He gets up, I'll hit another one, Tiger, and he gives it a big, big slice to the right. Ducks hooks the third ball, tops another one. He hasn't hit one good one out of the first five balls of warm-up. And Tiger's a little horrified because this could be really embarrassing. I mean, you got the troops, you got 40,000 people in the first tee, you got all the 
you got the army marching band and you got airplanes flying over from the air force and the whole deal. The president is going to step up to this T and he hasn't got it airborne yet. So he hits the six shot and he doesn't get that one airborne. So he finally turns the tiger and goes, I'm ready. <laughs> so tiger, a little crushable according to the president. So he gets up to the first T and the first tiger and makes the announcements. He's on public address system on television, live television. Press gets up there. 220 right down the middle, perfect tee shot every time. And uh, it, was, it was really funny to hear the president tell the story. But as 43 son said, that's why presidents are who they are, is they rise to the occasion because they're fierce competitors and they have to do some things to make some hard decisions. The president, you know, I've seen that many times with him. But that was my lessons with the president. And he pulled it off after a, a lot of weak golf shots in front of Tiger. That's great. What a story that is. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your book, though. Um, you, you know, you authored I Call Him Mr. President and, and the cause that you have behind that as well. Well, thanks for asking. Uh, Michael Patrick Shield is my co-author with it. Uh, you've been after me for multiple people have been after about some of the stories that I used to share with members at the club and things and been blessed enough to share those stories, you know, just because of my relationship and who the president was and willing to share these amazing you know, opportunities with me. But uh, so Michael, you know, I always said no to the book. I didn't want to capitalize on my relationship with the president. I thought my relationship was more important than anything else to me. But then I realized, you know, with a lot of pressure from outside people and Michael being an author, he had written a number of other books already. Um, and and uh, the president and Barr had been trying to raise money for charity all their lives. That's what they've done very, very well. And uh, this was an opportunity maybe for me to raise money for charity. And uh, so we went forward with the, prog you know, with the process um, and all the, the, the proceeds for the book uh, go to Gary's house, which is something that the main golf professional have been associated with for many years. And I thank them that, for that uh, dearly and added value to the experience. And it's at Cape Arundel every June. We've had, you know, MC from Jim Nance and Ken Venturi, uh, you know, to you know, all kinds of different Patriots and Red Sox and, Celtic players and Bonnie Blair, the speed skater, Olympian, and, you know, Maine hockey. And, you know, we've had Mark Plummer down quite a lot and the whole deal. So it's a great charity that we have at Gary's house in Portland, Maine, that assists families that need a place to stay going through a med medical emergency. And it can be free if they have no money. So a maximum of $15 a night. So it's a golf professional giving back. And I think that's a really important thing that we give back to our community, too, that we try to serve from the golf, golf side. So the book is, you know, a part of that. Um, and so all the benefits go, but I didn't want the book to be about me. You know, the president, the one word that he never, that his mom taught him was the I word. You know, it's not about you. And, you know, and uh, so I didn't want it to be about me. So what we did here, we added a little twist. So I wrote a letter to all the various people that I knew had been associated with the president. And a lot of them, luckily enough for me, that, that I was associated with. When they came to Cape Arundel to play golf with the president, it was a house guest of the president. And I reached out to them and explained what we were looking for, if they could all share a story with us about their time with the president. It wasn't political. It was just the president being the president, being one of the boys, being a fisherman, being a golfer, uh, being a bogey player, being a birdie shooter, whatever it was. It was, it was amazing the response I got back. So within the shaded areas of books, you, you'll see lots of stories from Jim Nance, even Prince Andrew has a story when he was up for the Ryder Cup at Brookline. He came up and we all played together with royalty, if you will. 
Uh, we got Johnny Morris, a great friend from Bass Pro Shops. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time fishing with him and, and some great fun fishing stories. But it really tells the, their version of the value of the president and what a great American he was. We got it from Tony, you know, tennis players. Uh, we got uh, the vice president, you know, uh, Dan Quayle is written up in there. Bill Clinton, you know, all these different people that we all relate to. So it's kind of fun to read their stories of how they perceive the president, whether it be a speed, speedboat story. Uh, Eric Higgins is in it from Maine. Mark Plummer's in it. You know, all these different people, different golf pros in it. Uh, so kind of fun. Brad Faxon's in it. So we have lots and lots of people that are telling a story as I am in this book for enjoyment. And uh, I've gotten really nice feedback uh, from some great people around the country. And, and uh, I've done some interviews with the book and uh, Fox and Friends and Yale Club in New York City and, and some of the clubs down here in Florida have been the guest speakers. So uh, we're reaching out and uh, still using the president and still making it, even though we lost the president, he's still uh, making an impact in all of our lives. How, how long did the book take you to put together? Uh, well, there's not going to be a second book, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, I would say, uh, I would say from start to finish, probably about eight months. My wife was very involved in it, too. Michael did a lot of the reading. Uh, I opened up a lot of my files, all my pictures, all the letters, all the newspaper articles that we had cut out from People Magazine, the New York Times. So I could give Michael, our author, you know, a feel of what transpired over all those years of the presidency and the vice presidency and things like that. And then we sat down. He came down to Florida a few times with us in our house in Maine, spent the weekend with us multiple times. And uh, he asked me a lot of questions like we're doing here today. Um, and we put it on recorded announcements and then he, he put it in writing. And then my wife and I spent months editing it, trying to make it sound like the bushes, you know, the situation when we're going into the house, what was it like? So we tried to make that, the emotion in the writing be felt. So we did a lot of editing of Michael's, but Michael really was the reason that the book happened. Without Michael, it probably wouldn't have happened, but without my wife also editing and me editing, especially when it came to the fishing part, because I didn't want the fishing part to sound like we didn't know what we're talking about. So, uh, and then of course the golf part was a gimme as the president says, but uh, it, was, it was a great project. And uh, I think the best part, the feedback that I've gotten from the book, not only have we raised some money for charity, it goes to Gary's house and it goes to the Kenny Bunk Port Conservation Trust, which the president was very dedicated to, to conserve the land in the Kenny Bunks in the state of Maine. Uh, but how many people reached out to me since the book and they have a story to share with me or a story that I was involved with them that I had forgotten about. And really, the impact that the president made in their lives, it might be a handshake, it might be an autograph, it might be a picture, it could be anything, but it, it was, you know, 30 seconds of interaction with the president, but a lifetime memory. And uh, the president was really good at that. And he understood, as I said in the book many times, the president used to say, Ken, it's just as easy to say yes as it is to say no. And uh, he lived that motto uh, day in and day out. Yeah, I, what I love about the book is the fact that, you know, you do it all for charity and it's, you know, it's not about you. It's about, you know, helping everybody else, um, you know, kind of going along the lines of that, you know, you guys have your celebrity golf classic. 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Can our listeners come and play in the event? Um, you know, what's, uh, what's it all about? Well, Gary's house, like I said, Gary, Gary Pike was the gentleman is dying with. We lost him at 19 years old to cancer. And he could not stay at the Ronald McDonald house, but his parents ended up sleeping in their car or on their floor at the hospital uh, because they could no longer afford, you know, $100 a room night at the hospital or at the motel. And so uh, Gary's uh, wish to his, his mother would be, Mom, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And, and she made a promise to, to him upon his death that she would try to create a hospitality house that had no barriers to be called Gary's house. And I got involved with that in the Kenny Bunks. And it started out with uh, bottle caps, uh, re, you know, refundables on the countertops, five cents change going in it. We were trying to raise a hundred dollars so a few people in the community could pay their tolls or gas to go up to the main medical center or Mercy Hospital to get some treatment. And that's how it all started. And, uh, and then we created a committee and then I got involved and said, I think we could raise some real money. You know, this is 25 years ago. Uh, maybe we could have a charitable golf tournament. And I said, I wanted to try to involve the golf professional so that the main community sees the golf professional giving back to the community more than just golf. And uh, we are stewards of, of the community here also. And that's transpired uh, since day one. And uh, so people can sign up and go to Gary's house. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, we have our website and um, we have celebrities over the many years. We've had just incredible. It's usually, uh, we have a big sit down dinner and a live auction. We're doing it online also. And then we have a uh, silent auction during the dinner. And then we have the golf event. We've had, you know, uh, like I said earlier, we had Jim Nance and Ken Venturi, but we've also had uh, the President Bush used to come out for years. Uh, his son, 43, now comes out and supports the tournament as does the family. Uh, we've even had people as far as the Admiral and the Captain of the George Bush aircraft carrier came back. And it was, it was just fascinating to hear him tell some stories. You know, Red Sox players, we have Jim Longborn, Louis Tion, Rico Petroselli over the years, Steve Brogan has come up. You know, Garen Barris has been a, a great supporter of ours. Uh, so, you know, it goes on and on and on. So uh, we bring all these people in and, and they're giving back and the main golf professionals giving back. And Gary's house is doing well. We've been able to upgrade all the things in the house, whether it be windows or a furnace or an elevator, just to assist, you know, this dying wish of 19-year-old uh, boy, young boy by the name of Gary Pike. Wow, what a what an awesome way to give back. And I mean, it just goes to show you what, I mean, you go on to uh, be named the New England uh, Golf Professional of the Year in 2003 and inducted into the Main Hall of Fame. I mean, we can, uh, I mean, we can definitely see why. I mean, you've, you've done a lot to to grow the game in, in the state of Maine and uh, and give back. And, and we thank you for, for everything you've done. Um, well, I think I've been I think I've been the lucky one, truly, truly. <laughs> so we got a, we got a few uh, questions to, to kind of bring us home here. The Wicked Fire round, okay? So we're going to rip through these real quick. Favorite I love, hole. I love these. <laughs> yeah. Favorite hole at Cape Arundel. Ten. The best part of President Bush's game. Driver. Really? Even after that warm-up session with Tiger? You obviously haven't seen him putt and chip. <laughs> Favorite celebrity to visit Cape Arundel? Ooh, that's a tough one. 
I really enjoyed uh, Jose Muriel's album. And your favorite course outside of Cape Arundel in Maine? It has to be a one one course answer. I love Kibo. I love the old history and the you know the traditions there. But uh, obviously, what they've done at Booth Bay is obviously really really special. Also, yeah, that man, it's amazing what they've done over there. Um, but yeah, so. Hey, Ken, we, we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, certainly we, we hope to have you back on at some point to get some more stories. But uh, if, if, uh, if our listeners want to find you or get in touch about your book, where, where can they go? Well, go to my personal email. Happy to you know, reach out to everybody. Then go to uh, wtravis1896 at yahoo.com, and I'll, I guarantee you I'll respond. And uh, you can get it on Amazon and the whole deal. And uh, we actually just came out with a paperback. And uh, when we did that, uh, our publisher asked us to add another chapter because they didn't want it to be a revised edition. So chapter 12 is a new edition from the hardcover, and it includes the funeral and his passing. Uh, so uh, uh, that was obviously very special. And uh, to be invited to, to that and participate in that was mind-boggling. And next time we get together, we'll give you some more details about that. Mark Plummer was present to that, too. And uh, we had a lot of PGA professionals. Uh, also there that we all spent some time and had a very special dinner uh, with, as a tribute to, to uh, 41. And we all told stories about 41 during that dinner with Jim Nance and Phil Mickelson and Freddie Couples and Paul Marchant and Hale Irwin, Jack Nicholas, Ben Crenshaw, just to name a few. So it was a you know, mind-blowing evening uh, that we spent in Washington uh, that's in the book. Well, Ken, we, uh, we truly appreciate you jumping on and we, uh, we look forward to talking with you some more, uh, throughout these episodes and, uh, guys, for, uh, for our listeners, if you guys can follow us on main golf talk on Instagram and Facebook, and, uh, please, uh, head over to iTunes, give us a review, let us know how we're doing and, uh, we will see you guys next time on main golf talk. Mm-hmm.